Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I want to shout out to all the Puget Sound party people. It's Saturday night right here on 570 KVI. Thanks for joining me, and I uh, hope you've got your friends or something great in your glass and uh, huddled around the radio like the old days in FDR. <laughs> uh, I guess I could be the president of uh, libations perhaps today. It, uh, but I'm always glad that you're joining us here on Happy Hour Radio. If you ever miss a show, don't forget we got a, a great website, happyhourradio.net. And if uh, you are in the tweeting Twitter sphere... We are at Happy HR Radio. So uh, if you'd like tweeting, you can check out our Facebook page, uh, Happy Hour Radio, and of course the website. So see all the cool guests we've had before and listen to some past shows. And, um, you know, keep on educating yourself about the world of wine, spirits, cocktails, beer, fresh food, events, and education all around the world. So, uh, the holiday season's over. This is the last gasp of January, and we'll figure out if we're going to have six more weeks of winter. But I don't know about your New Year's resolutions. One of mine was to, uh, well, always drink better and eat better, exercise more, uh, and do more reading. And I am fortunate enough to have um, lots of PR companies in New York, San Francisco, Chicago, all around the country sending me uh, opportunities to review some great uh, books about beer and cocktails and wine and chefs and things like that. And I brought three into the studio today. Thought I'd share them with you. I know that once the hustle and bustle of the holidays is over, we can take a deep breath and, uh, well, pay attention to some things that are important to us. And, well, if you're like me, wine, spirits, cocktails, beer is important stuff. Um, but it's all about fun in moderation, of course. But if you want to learn more, if you want to expand your horizon or, or just sort of appreciate some of the stories that have helped shape our industry in the Pacific Northwest and even the West Coast... I brought three books today. Um, my first book is actually from a local uh, gentleman, um, Jamie Boudreau, bartender extraordinaire, the owner of uh, Cannon Whiskey and Bitters Emporium over in Capitol Hill. And he's come out with his first book, and uh, it's a hardcover book. It's called Cannon, the Cocktail Book, Recipes from the Award-Winning Bar. And I believe they were named uh, one of the top 50 bars in the United States and top 10 bars you have to uh, visit before you die or something like that. But uh, I've been there. It is a very curious, charming, quaint, uh, eclectic spot. Um, more bottles of uh, spirits than you can imagine. It's It certainly is an emporium. It's almost a museum because he's got so many, and you can't even see half of them because all of his shelves are full. So they have to use a ladder. But their uh, staff is uh, truly inspired and enthusiastic, um, imaginative, but also understanding the classics of, of what makes a great cocktail. So this book is called, again, Canon the Cocktail Book. Um, it's really interesting in fact that it has of course a little bit of history about him and then uh, some recipes and uh, he can show you the classic recipes the Tom Collins and the Manhattan or the old-fashioned but he also gets experimental and uh, takes some riffs on those classic cocktails and more importantly if you ever had an inkling to 
open up your own place, your own pub, your own bar or restaurant. He actually has a chapter and a half about what it takes, his sort of journey through that process, the things you don't think about, the things you wish you thought about, and the things you have to know before you get in uh, into a lease and uh, repairs and, and how to save money. Because I tell you, uh, restaurants, the success of restaurants and bars around, well, in the past has been about five years of longevity and uh, it tends that uh, the person who owns the bar works a lot and then pays everybody else and then kind of fizzles out. But Jamie Boudreaux, the canon, has been recognized and he's been in business since 2011. Uh, a day in the life of a bar owner starts at 9 a.m. and finishes at basically uh, 2 a.m. And that's when he gets off work and goes to sleep. So if you want to be a bar owner, be a bartender, a mixologist, a craft mixologist, whatever you want to call it, uh, plan on putting a lot of hours and a lot of preparation. So uh, the Canon Cocktail Book will tell you about recipes, of course, some classic liqueurs, and how to make your own bitters and uh, some of the best tools uh, to stock in your bar if you want to open up something at, uh, on the street or at home. So Canon, it's a hardcover book available at Amazon. It's about 28 bucks. It's actually uh, higher in Canada, it says here, which is kind of funny. But great photos. Um, I think it's an all-time classic. I've seen a lot of cocktail books, but uh, Canon, the cocktail book, is something that you will actually read because it's engaging. The recipes are cool and classic, and uh, the pictures are great because it's got an old-timey feel to it. So, that's the cocktail book. Um, if you like beer, if you, have, if you haven't yet ventured to make your own beer, that's kind of a caveman thing, right? Maybe it's paleo, I don't know. But uh, here's a chance to start from scratch, and this is called a book from Marika Josephson, Aaron Clyden, and Ryan Tochstein, or Stein. That's quite a trio of names. It's called The Homebrewer's Almanac. A seasonal guide to making your own beer from scratch. Now, this is kind of cool. Obviously, we've got the brew shops. You can go over there and pick up some malt and some some hops, and of course, your yeast and your five-gallon bucket, and then your uh, um, your bung, which allows all the CO2 to escape. And then you need your bottle capper, and you got to sanitize the bottles and or put it in a keg, which is pretty easy. But then you got to drop 300 bucks on a keg machine and. Uh, wrangle some five-gallon or six-gallon old soda kegs. Um, but if you want to start from scratch, and I know that the Northwest is a great bounty from Yakima to the peninsula, uh, Walla Walla and uh, Vancouver, we've got all sorts of great fruits and vegetables and herbs, and uh, we have truffles and mushrooms and all sorts of things. So this seasonal guide to making your own beer from scratch, it's pretty fun. It starts out with winter. And what sort of flavors you can infuse your beer with? We all know that the Reinheitsgebot rule from Germany back in the, I think it was 1200s, uh, water, yeast, barley, hops. That's the only thing that can be in beer. But here we go. We're getting more inventive. And uh, making wine, beer from scratch is kind of fun because you can add some of these things. For winter beers, he's adding things like sweet potato, sage, wild rose, and juniper. Juniper, of course, we know that flavor, that aroma from gin. Um, but to think about a sweet potato beer, that's kind of cool. I like sweet potatoes, and it sure is a, a comfort food, if you will. A comfort beverage, maybe. We move into spring. The uh, Homebrewers Almanac lists uh, items such as uh, maple sugar, dandelion, uh, Japanese honeysuckle. Well, that's interesting. Rhubarb, 
mint, arugula, and nettles, stinging nettles. Now, that could be kind of a wild beer. Um, not sure how that's going to work, but that's what's cool about this book is that they go through the recipes. They tell you what sort of uh, measurements you need and why they use something like stinging nettles and how to harvest stinging nettles without getting all scratchy and itchy. Uh, but that's spring. So for summer, he goes into some, uh, well, it's kind of an earthy thing. I'm surprised it says summer. It says chanterelles, black trumpet mushrooms, American elder, spice bush, sumac, yellow sweet clover, basil. These are all things he uh, uses to flavor some beer. Also, carrot, tomato, fennel, lavender, peach, and gooseberry. Uh, lots and Something called pawpaw. <laughs> Page 132. Let's see what pawpaw is. I've never heard of pawpaw. Sounds like something out of a Batman show. The common pawpaw producers the largest edible fruit indigenous to North America. Whoa. It's the only tropical fruit tree that grows as far north in the Americas. Its interior flesh, the texture of custard, tastes like banana and mango with huge triangular seeds that were used as jewelry by the Native Americans. Who knew? The common pawpaw. That's a good one. So uh, that is his summer lineup of uh, herbs and ingredients and, well, root vegetables and fruits and uh, herbs, of course. We get to fall. So fall, this is kind of cool. He adds hickory. I bet you adding a little hickory chips to your beer fermentation is much like adding oak to your wine. Add some flavor, some nuance, perhaps a bit of that smoke. And hickory is kind of a smoky, you think of uh, sausages and uh, jerky and <clears throat> perhaps um, smoked salmon. Also uses oak. He uses uh, apple squash horseradish. There you go, a horseradish beer. Uh, burdock, ginger, and turmeric. Now, I believe it, uh, we've just announced turmeric is the, the new uh, flavor trend, spice trend in beverages and foods around the world. I guess this whole thing about Indian food is uh, coming back because uh, lots of chefs are using turmeric. And if you remember my show um, with uh, uh, Chet Holstein, he's got a very cool uh, turmeric liqueur. So this is called the Almanac, uh, the Homebrewer's Almanac, a seasonal guide to making your own beer from scratch. Um, it's got some great pictures. The the type is easy. Um, you can learn how to uh, de-seed or use lotus seed. <laughs> and how to really f put in some chips into your beer for flavor. Green tomatoes, red tomatoes, basil. Uh, pretty cool. It is uh, $22.95. And I'm sure you can, uh, well, it, it says you don't need any hops because you can use these flavors themselves. But again, it's available on Amazon and uh, all your favorite bookstores and probably at some of those homebrew stores and they'll get you set up with equipment. Remember, the key to making your own wine or beer spirits is always about cleanliness. You have to have some uh, germ-free environment so that stuff can age and, and not spoil over time. All right, the final book. Uh, the final book of the three is... Uh, Written by a friend of mine who is the writer for um, Wine and Spirits magazine. He's uh, Patrick Kamiski down in uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles area. He was up here in Washington several occasions going through our vineyards. He was wanting to write a book about, um, well, the Rhone Ranger movement. Rhone is, of course, the, uh, the region in France. Uh, the Northern Rhone, Southern Rhone, Avignon, uh, Orange, Valence, uh, right above the, right below Beaujolais and right above the uh, area of Provence. So Patrick Kamiski writes this book, American Rhone, 
How Maverick Winemakers Changed the Way Americans Drink. Really pretty cool. It talks about the history of not only the Rhone region and what grapes are important there, but how they ended up over here and who were some of those pioneers and mavericks that started planting these uh, varieties in California and, of course, up to Washington and Oregon. But back in the day, when you think about it, in the 60s, it was all about Cabernet. Cabernet Merlot and Chardonnay and uh, some Pinot Gris and Riesling down there in California. But then Grenache and Syrah and Morvedra, Marsan, Roussan, Cunoise, all the Rhone grapes. And there are, if you think about it, like 49 different grapes or 48 in the <laughs> permitted in the Rhone region, the Southern Rhone. Of course, in the Northern Rhone, it's only uh, three or four different grapes, unless you call it Saint-Bray. So this book is uh, really interesting. It talks about history, and so I'm going to get you a little excerpt. It's got some cool photos. It looks like uh, these are black and white photos. It looks like these are Led Zeppelin band members because that was the, the late 70s and the early 80s. But here's, a, uh, here's an excerpt. In the spring of 2004, Greg Harrington and his wife, and Greg Harrington is a local master sommelier who was uh, living in New York City, and the Washington Wine Commission went out there and did a tasting of Washington wines, and uh, Greg was there. So uh, he found themselves at this rooftop picnic in Brooklyn, sponsored by the commission. He tasted some wines. He uh, shared it. He had many of uh, wine epiphanies over his life, but this one was different. For the first time, he looked into the glass and imagined his future. Wow, it's like reading tea leaves. I guess we can read Great Must or perhaps uh, Wine Dregs. But Greg Harrington, Master Sommelier, left New York, the thriving metropolis, culinary and wine capital of, well, one of the capitals of our nation um, and perhaps the world, uh, to come to Little Walla Walla. And Walla Walla, Washington is now known for Syrah with Christophe Baron and Amavi and Richard Funk and Savaya and so many great Syrahs from In the Rocks District, which is actually in Oregon. Lots to learn here. It's the American Rhone, How Maverick Winemakers Change the Way Americans Drink by Patrick Kamiski. you got to check it out. Available on Amazon. So that's the three books I wanted to share with you. And coming up on the show... I've got a, a great chef from Oregon, the Joel Palmer House. Been around for 100 years. Uh, he's not that old, but we're going to chat about the restaurant, his career, and National Soup Month. So stick around, folks. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle and Puget Sound, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Hoping you're having a happy Saturday night and uh, have something tasty in your glass. This is our round two, and uh, maybe you're on your way to some fancy restaurant, but uh, keep us tuned in on your drive, and uh, if you're, maybe you're sitting around the fireplace, huddled all warm, sipping something delicious, or maybe even having some soup. Uh, my next guest is pretty exciting. I look forward to meeting him in person, but he is down in Oregon right now, and uh, he's actually working at one of the most celebrated restaurants in the state of Oregon. Uh, Christopher Sarnecki, I want to welcome you to Happy Hour. Hey, it's great to be here. Awesome. Well, um, thanks so much for joining me. Um, the Joel Palmer House has been around for how many years? We opened in 1997, so that's 20 years now. 20 years. and But was that like a chef location there for 100 years? Was there a restaurant prior, or was that just brand new? 
Not quite. The Joel Palmer House got its name from uh, the historical figure in the state of Oregon. He uh, had an unsuccessful run for the governorship. He uh, founded the town of Dayton, and this was his home that he built in 1857. I it was on the see. National and the State Historic Registry, and honestly, when the family restaurant, uh, family operation, moved from Pennsylvania to Oregon, uh, the original plan was to keep the family name Joe's Joe's Restaurant, but. We, uh, my folks decided to stay true to history and uh, honor the heritage of where they came from and renamed the restaurant the Joel Palmer House. That's pretty cool. And so it's, it actually is a house, and the guy's name was Joel Palmer, founder of Dayton. So we know that's where you are now, but let's step back a while. I'm reading some of your biography. It's pretty interesting. As you mentioned, uh, you and your family grew up in Pennsylvania, which is um, one of the, the heartlands of our, of our country, I'd say, in terms of cooking, because you've got some Pennsylvania Dutch over there. And uh, tell me about how you got into food. Well, I, I literally grew up in the restaurant business. Uh, it wasn't until I was three years old that uh, we moved out of the upstairs apartments above the restaurant to the suburbs. I've been in and out of the, the family kitchen all my life. Um, you know, the second grade, I was hanging out in the bar with my grandmother when she made cocktails. <laughs> third grade, they let me garnish desserts. Uh, fifth grade, I was uh, running food. So... You know, it was a nice way to make a couple extra got some cheap labor, and uh, I got <laughs> yeah. some skills at the same time. How funny is that? I guess if you're a, if you're labor and family, you're, uh, you you don't the laws don't apply or something, right? Um, that's yeah, great. Exactly. My boys are two and four, so they got a few more months before they're ready to start oh. working. <laughs> okay. So, um, and this was a restaurant in Pennsylvania named Joe's. That's right. What was the food? Was it strictly Americana? Was it meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and cheesecake, or what? Well, you got to remember, it goes back 100 years now. Um, my my great-grandfather opened Joe's Tavern in 1916. It was a Polish man's tavern in a Polish part of town. And, you know, Poland being surrounded by enemies for the last thousand years, uh, got, they got really good at cooking what they could hunt and forage. A uh, big hmm. part of that was wild mushrooms. So when my grandparents took over, uh, they combined that love of wild mushroom and Polish cooking with their love of French fine dining. And uh, so they... They were huge Francophiles. Uh, white tablecloth, you know, interesting preparations, etc. My parents took over in the 70s. They maintained the mushroom theme. They really felt that that was the core of what they were doing and what made them special. But my dad started integrating ing- ingredients from all around the world. Then, of course, the big move was from Pennsylvania all the way out to Oregon. And, uh, boy, we love it here. We haven't looked back since. That's pretty neat. You know, I got to tell you that um, I'm, I'm from the Midwest as well, and my great grandfather owned a tavern as, as well, and they used to do uh, fish fries and you know shorter stuff. Um, I think they had them pickled eggs too. But uh, you you have a long history uh, of a family career, um, and it's interesting about mushrooms. I, I know that being here in the Northwest from since the '70s, that mushrooms were really gaining popularity in this whole idea of foraging. Uh, did your family have some background, some some uh, a tradition to go out after? the rainy season and look for mushrooms and things like that oh absolutely i mean here's the the thing about the whole fresh and local movement is that that's been the core of excellent dining for many 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 generations okay uh the idea of cooking seasonally is just how people live for thousands of years it's it's kind of a breath of fresh air that you know it's getting back into the mainstream but we've always been fresh local seasonal because that's where the mushrooms come from they come from the wild these aren't you know just button mushrooms that you can cultivate in a cave somewhere uh we can't just serve morels any time of year we've got to go out and get them when they're out and then that's it i mean there are ways to preserve mushrooms but 
you know, the thing about wild mushrooms is that they've got so much more character than the things you're going to find on a salad bar or on top of a pizza. And, uh, well, I mean, I could go on all day, but I know we've got a limited amount of time here. <laughs> uh, well, that's really neat, and it's true. I know that uh, my background is the Chinese grandfathers. They had a lot of dried everything. So uh, you think about mushrooms, like, there's a lot of kind of mushrooms. So you ended up in Oregon, um, but I, I understand you cooked in the military. Well, I wouldn't call it cooking exactly. So that's but, not um, farm to table, is it? That's uh, <laughs> uh, can opener to steel. Yeah, that's box to fork. That's uh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, look, I I chose cooking in the army because I thought it would be something I could do with my hands tied behind my back, and uh, tragically, I was right. Um, <laughs> you know, the first time I ever had to do push-ups in the kitchen is because I tried to make something taste good and didn't follow the recipe card. But, you know, it was a life-changing experience. It was uh, horrible, miserable, and I would do it all over again. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens the rest of the year. But uh, now you've got a whole army of culinarians working for you. Is that right? How big, how, how big is the staff at the Joel Palmer House? Well, you know, we're really seasonal here. So it could be as low as four, as many as 15. Um, one of my guys is also a combat veteran and, uh, you know, being out in the wine country, you know, a lot of tourists come in from out of state, out of country, uh, to taste the world-class Pinot Noir that we've got out here. In fact, our wine list features, uh, exclusively Oregon wine. We've got over 600 wines on our list. Um, and you know, it's one of these things where we maintain a really tight core team because after all, it's still a family run restaurant. I bought it from my parents 10 years ago. And, you know, I want to surround myself with people that are as passionate about food as I am. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you have to have uh, first the, the mentorship and the inspiration of your staff. And, of course, you have to be energetic and, and also have some uh, well-roundedness and knowing what balance is and how certain things, um, well, how to make a volute for say. I mean, it sounds pr pretty easy, but did you uh, – is there a culinary school down there, I think? Isn't there a community college that well, There's has a couple culinary schools up in Portland. Um, I just you know grew up in the family business. I've been doing this all my life. I I like to joke with my customers and say that I went to the Culinary Institute of Nanny and Pop-Up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, with two parents running a restaurant that's open just evenings, uh, they were the ones who helped me with my homework and taught me how to help make dinner. Wow. And what, what, was Dad on, on the line, or was he the maitre d', or was what was Mom doing? Well, Mom, she here's the thing. She's the very definition of uh, behind every great man is a you know, great yes. woman. Yes. Um, you know, my dad got a James Beard Award for his second cookbook, but what nobody ever realizes is that she's the the, the 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 genius behind all the desserts that they ever served, and she ran the front of the house while he was behind the line. Wow. Did they meet in a restaurant, or was this sort of uh, <laughs> I don't <laughs> you know, know. I'll make up a story, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. No, they met in college and uh, in California, UC Davis, and then oh. uh, they honeymooned through Oregon. And so that's why 20 years ago, when they started looking to move from Reading, Pennsylvania, which was kind of a rough town, um, they found, you know, little old Dayton. And boy, like I said, we're in the middle of wine country. We love it. Well, tell me about um, it's it's winter. And I know when it comes to winter, we're, we're all about sort of comfort foods, uh, although comfort food can, can be any any seasonal dish that's got a lot of fat in it, I guess. What's what's comfort food mm -hmm. down there? What's the, what's the style of your cuisine? Well, style of our cuisine is fine dining, you know, so we'll do, uh, yeah, that's white tablecloth, more interesting preparations and platings uh, with heavy emphasis, of course, on wild mushrooms and truffles. Uh, like right now, we're doing uh, individual beef wellingtons that's uh, filet mignon wrapped in puff pastry. 
that's got some porcini mushroom, foie gras, truffle duck cell mixed in with a veal demi glaze. So I like to kind of just, wow. I like to just kind of cook wherever my whimsy takes me. You know, if I get some fresh matsutake mushrooms in, I think, okay, so there's an Asian influence there. What can I do with it to combine it with something different? Have some fun. I mean, I'm a food geek after all. And, uh, you know, I don't want to serve anybody something that I wouldn't love to eat myself. Oh, that's good. I, that's the, the key. Uh, you, and that also makes uh, uh, cooking fun. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Christopher Sarnecki, who is the uh, owner and head chef, I'm going to say, right? Uh, owner and executive chef, yeah. Executive chef. I love that. I'm executive I mean, director. more important. Oh, I know. Out. I'm executive director of a lot of my <laughs> little things at home, too. Uh, so fun. And uh, you just served dinner. How many seats does the Joe Palmer House have? Well, indoors, we've got 45, but we have a beautiful outdoor dining area, too. So we can seat up to about 120 uh, during the summertime. Wow. And uh, parking lot, you got plenty of parking. It's easy to get to. There is How far from is the Allison Inn close to that? The Allison Inn is about 15, 20 minutes away. Okay. That's we've Newburgh, got our own yeah. parking lot. It's about 12 spots. We actually have two electric vehicle charging stations. Um, and the parking lot is between uh, the Culinary Garden and the Palmer House itself. All right, so uh, what's the address so we can get people down there if they can remember this address? Or a website, even better. I was going to say, yeah, the website's even better. It's www.joelpalmerhouse.com. joelpalmerhouse.com. Well, I'm excited to head down there. Actually, I just got my tickets for the uh, IPNC event on Sunday, so I'm going to plan to head down there early. Uh, and I'm going to do uh, some tasting. Nice. Yeah, so fun. Hey, speaking with Christopher Sarnecki, uh, owner chef of uh, Joe Palmer House down in Dayton, uh, Oregon, and we come back from this break, we're going to talk about what's really seasonal. There's some fun things, some mushrooms and some truffles, which are indigenous to Oregon. So stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. back and he's in charge kirby wilbur live and local weekdays nine to noon talk radio 570 kvi kvi want to know weekends time for another round of happy hour radio with christopher chan all right seattle happy saturday night and uh, welcome back to happy hour radio time for round three hope you got something uh, tasty in your glass or almost arrived to that uh, wonderful warm and dry restaurant uh, i have the pleasure of speaking to um a longtime culinarian he's uh cooked uh, he he was slave labor <laughs> when he was in third grade and then he was more slave labor when he joined the army but now he's free and he's got uh, f- uh the reins of one of uh oregon's most popular destinations the joel palmer house so christopher cernecki um tell me about some of the favorite dishes you have on your menu there well you know uh at the beginning of 2016 we started doing our winter winemaker dinner series and uh that was kind of a chance to geek out and uh come up with some brand new dishes one of which that definitely stuck was uh uh, duck breast that we do we roll it with some porcini mushroom duck cell seasoned with a touch of five spice and then uh, we serve it with a puree of foie gras and marion berries, a uh, type of blackberry unique to this part of the state. Wow. Uh, the other one, is the key I mean, for duck you, breast, do you slice little, it? Uh, do you slice the duck breast that? skin? Do you get that? Do you sort of what, uh, score it? Do you score the skin? Or is this uh, just... I do. Uh-huh. I do. Yeah, it keeps the skin from warping, and it allows some of the 
uh, uh, the heat to reach the fat faster, so it renders and gives you more even sear. And then what I'll usually do is saute some of those mushrooms uh, in that fat. Mm. Actually, right now, we're doing it with slices of apple. It's pretty awesome. Like, frying apple and duck fat. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say a second ago, who doesn't love sweet and salty, right? That's right. Well, that's the key. Um, McDonald's figured that out a long time ago. <laughs> um, that sounds like this duck is my favorite dish. What else? What else would be great? Uh, is you have a, a, a fine starter? Are you known for a certain uh, cream soup or... Well, you know, it's National Soup Month, so I'd be remiss not to bring this up, but I feel it's kind of odd. I'm a red-blooded, you know, American guy, and one of my dishes that people constantly ask for is my gazpacho, actually. Wow. Um, We serve it as kind of a palate cleanser between the appetizer and main course, but it's actually three gazpachos in one. The red side is uh, tomato with pickled ginger. The green side is cucumber with lemon balm. And individually, they're pretty good, but it's all meant to be enjoyed together. We serve it as like a little shot. And uh, I know I know, gazpacho cold soup isn't what you want to be thinking about during these cold winter days, but uh, honestly, it's a great palate cleanser. It's refreshing, and, and it's vegan and gluten-free. <laughs> all right. You've got the 10-star the approval on that, and I like it. It's almost the Neapolitan of, uh, uh, of um, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> you just said, I can't think of it. Well, uh, you know, that, that soup was a total happy accident, as I like to call it, as We've got this, you know, field of, of lemon balm that grows like a weed out in the uh, culinary garden. And I was like, okay, I got to do something with this. Okay, gazpacho, let's do it. I make it a gazpacho. Tasted great, but it had this awful orange color. So I, ha- I, I shelved it, and I thought, happened to be flipping through a dessert cookbook that same week, and I saw this multi-layered dessert in a glass. I said, that's it. I'll make two different gazpachos. Uh, parfait. Now you got the cool green and the red. It's cool. Yeah, fun. All right. So now that's, are you getting uh, heirloom tomatoes throughout the year? I know that some hothouses can grow those, or is this really a spring to fall deal or summer to fall? Well, you know, the gazpacho, we lean on the romas, you know, whether they I come see. from the garden, you know, or local. But uh, yeah, we last year we had something like eight different tomatoes in the garden. So we. We got to have some fun with those. Yeah, I love those heirloom tomatoes. It's great to see this uh, this trend towards finding the heritage, uh, you know, fruits and vegetables and, and even livestock. Uh, you heard of that Koshan 555? I've heard of it. I've not been to it yet. All right. Well, uh, is that the one put on by Nikki USA? They're part of it, um, and uh, they've got this guy uh, uh, Brady out of Atlanta who does this the Taste Food Network or something. It's really cool. Five chefs, five pigs, and five wineries. I know it'll be in Portland some one of these days, but it's coming to Seattle this year. Um, you said it's National Soup Month. I know that uh, I've been enjoying all sorts of soup. You go get a roast chicken, and the next thing you know, it's in a pot, and you're adding some carrots and le- uh, the mirepoix and some seasoning. What are some of the recipes of, of a soup that either go back to your childhood that you still love today or something that you sort of been turned on to that sort of hits that spot? Well, I mean, my, my grandfather's mushroom soup has been on the menu for 60 years. It's a puree of wild mushrooms. It's uh, vegetarian. And you talk about something you want to just sip on out of a coffee cup on a hot on a, on a cold winter night. That is it. I mean, it's uh, it's a permanent fixture on the menu. Certain winemaker friends have threatened to boycott the, uh, <laughs> the restaurant if I ever take it off the menu. Is that a um, vegetable and, stock I mean, with, a cre- with cream? Not even. It's wild mushrooms. Uh, the holy trinity of yeah. cooking with wild mushrooms. That's soy sauce, sugar, and salt. Wow. Uh, just a little butter, and uh, we're just sticking it with uh, a, a flour. Wow. Uh, wash. So 
so simple to make and so satisfying. All right. And that's what is that just called Grandpa's Joe? Or, <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's just Joe's wild mushroom soup. Rolls off the tongue a little uh, bit. I love it. <laughs> well, um, you know, apparently you're an ambassador of this National Soup Month, and I know that uh, there's a contest out there. And, and forgive me, listeners, we tried to schedule this, and uh, you got three days to get in on this contest. What's the contest if someone has the inspiration to go check it out? If you've got a recipe for a soup and it got and it's got a great story to go along with it, send it to info at joelpalmerhouse.com. Um, the winners will get picked by me and my team, and uh, we'll feature it on the menu for uh, a week or two, uh, and we'll we'll treat you and a significant other to dinner. And if you can't make it to the Palmer House, we'll actually do a, a, a FaceTime or Skype uh, cooking lesson from the kitchen. Oh, that's Talk about cool. Anything you want. Right on. That's technology. So if when you want to fill it out, I'm not on the website right now, but is this is, is you add a recipe, you need a photo, and you need a little biography about how it came to be? Yeah, the more the better. You know, don't just don't just throw a recipe out there, but uh, a little backstory, a little little history, a little family, a little you know entertainment that goes a long way too. Because at the end of the day, my guests they want you know they want the experience, and uh, nothing makes something more delicious than you know a, a, a fun you know touching story to go along with it. That's pretty cool. I'm going to enter that stone soup. I hear it's so good. There you go. Yeah, I was, you win though. There's, I don't know. I'm going to be some listeners. We had that. famine, and then we started out with a stone. Next thing you know, everyone was hungry. It was like loaves and fishes in terms of soup. Uh, pretty neat. So it's uh, info at joelpalmerhouse.com for the uh, 2017 National Soup Contest. And you are, you, will you actually make the recipe too, and you'll test it out? Yeah, I'll go through them all. We'll probably test like the top five or ten. And then uh, the winners will be announced a couple days after. All right. So the difference between soup and a chili or a bouillabaisse, what what are we, what has to define a soup? I can't make chili, right? Chili's not soup. I would say that if I had to limit the definition, it would be something you have to serve in a bowl and can be eaten with just a spoon. All right. <laughs> no fork and knife uh, allowed. <laughs> but you'll you'll wish you had a fork because you want to get every last drop. I remember that. That's good. There you go. There and you, you go. can't doctor up like a progresso soup with some sherry and call it you know really fancy. <laughs> like hey, I, do. I don't care how you cheat. If it tastes delicious, that's what matters. The most. <laughs> <laughs> how about that? So um, this dinner series, do you have the winemaker dinner series, Joe Palmer, uh, this month or next month or what's happening? Go every ever every other Friday until say the end of April. Uh, we've got some big hitters on deck. We've got uh, Ken Wright Sellers, Iris Vineyards, Elizabeth Chambers. I'm actually teaming up, hopefully, with uh, Dauntless Wine Cellars out of Gaston. It's a winery run by three Marine Corps veterans. Oh, wow. So it'll be an all-veteran winemaker dinner. So you'll have a Semper Fi and then a hoo-ha! And a... Hoo-ha, that's right. <laughs> Something else. Oh, so fun. So uh, Joe Palmer House is open uh, 365 except for Christmas, or are you actually like the... Well, we're closed major holidays. We're uh, open Tuesday through Saturday for dinner. Tuesday listen, through Saturday. Listen, Chris, I've got, a, I've got a two-year-old, a four-year-old, and a wife at home. I'm we like having our time off too. Of course, <laughs> hey, I mean, you need to find balance. I know that, especially in the in the food and beverage industry. I I was uh, waiting tables when I was actually busting tables at sixteen, and I got real paroled when I was like forty something. <laughs> and it takes its toll. It's hard work. People don't recognize that. They think it's easy. Why did you mess up my order? And uh, but I'm sure you have a, a, a top notch staff. Um, reservations typically. 
Definitely recommend it, especially for Saturdays. Uh, we're on open table. You can go straight to our website, make reservations there. Awesome. All um, right. So like that's I said, Saturdays, at least a week in advance. Okay. Uh, so that's joelpalmerhouse.com, and uh, this is fantastic. Tuesday through Saturday down in Dayton. Check it out on the website. And uh, uh, if you have any soups, folks, you got three days info at joelpalmerhouse.com to get in your soup recipe, a photo, and a fun story that uh, is, you know, mostly true. You have some editorial license, I'm sure. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Sarnecki, what a treat. Thanks for taking some time. I'm excited to actually meet the chef uh, of the Joel Palmer House and um, I look forward to getting down there uh, in the springtime or even summer. Looking forward to it. All right. Hey, that's uh, uh, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. I'll see you uh, when I get down there soon. Thank you very much, sir. All right. Uh, that's Christopher Sernecki, the uh, executive chef and owner of uh, Joel Palmer House. Uh, really renowned cuisine. I, I'm disappointed that I haven't had the chance to dine there myself. Um, I'm not sure why that is. I just... I haven't been to Oregon, but this is my year to go down to Oregon and enjoy it for the uh, IPNC, International Pinot Noir Celebration. And uh, that was segment three, folks. We've got our last segment, the final four segment, coming up right next. So stick around. I'm going to tell you about some fun events and some tastings coming up here in Seattle, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to our fourth and final segment. Hope you got something swirling in that uh, cocktail glass or wine glass. Uh, and you enjoy the rest of the Saturday night. Uh, remember, we got those three books we talked about, Canon, the cocktail book, by Jamie Boudreau, who's the owner of Mixologist and uh, one of the best bartenders in the world, to be honest. Um, that book is fantastic. It's 28 bucks hardcover. Canon, the cocktail book. Also, if you're into home brewing, um, the Home Brewer's Almanac, a seasonal guide to making your own beer from scratch. I know it sounds kind of funky, but uh, uh, they take you step by step with some cool ingredients, some wild and funky ingredients. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's all about making your own kind of soup, I guess, with bubbles and alcohol. And, of course, my pal, my pal Patrick Comiskey, um, wine writer for Wine and Spirits magazine. Uh, the American Roan, how maverick winemakers change the way Americans drink. This is the story about California wines, uh, Grenache, Morvedre, Cunois, Sanso, uh, Viognier, Marsan, Roussan, and all going up the coast, up to Washington. And uh, great stories about Walla Walla. And if you're into tasting and you've got that uh, the New Year's resolution list. I'm sure it's about reading more, educating more, being nicer, and working out, uh, and tasting more wine. Coming up, this is the uh, Taste of Walla Walla. It's at McCall Hall. Uh, go to uh, wallawallawine.org, um, and you'll get the, the uh, ticket link. Um, there'll be 45 producers uh, pouring some hundred wines or so, and that's coming up in February. Uh, also, later on, um, uh, I should say next week, uh, we'll be hosting, talking with um, an author who wrote a book on love potions. I know Valentine's Day is coming up, and maybe you're, you're in that rocky period. <laughs> but if you want to uh, check this out, these are actually all, she's got 64 um, natural herbal love potions, and I'm pretty excited to talk to her about that. That'll be for our Valentine's show. 
uh, that second Saturday of February. Um, but uh, if you want to get out and about and uh, escape uh, the the wet Seattle and head up to the wet Vancouver, um, check it out. It's the Vancouver International Wine Festival, and that starts actually uh, on Monday the 13th and uh, goes all week. There are wine classes, wine tasting seminars, um, presentations and wine dinners wine lunches it's pretty fantastic i i have the good fortune of uh heading up there um right after we do that show on the weekend and uh, i'm going to do some reporting we'll do some interviews with some of the winemakers who are coming from around the world this is an international deal and it's a uh, part of canada's uh was it bicent no centennial plus 50 i forget what that's called Centenario. I don't know. Anyway, 150 years. Canada was founded or released or um, <laughs> became a nation in on July 1st, uh, 150 years ago. Uh, here's some things that are coming up. Um, if you want to learn about wine, if you want to learn about real stories and don't want to go to Vancouver, then circle the date, July 9th through 11th here in Seattle at South Seattle College. Um, the uh, International Wine and Spirits Symposium, Psalm Summit, is coming to Seattle. And that's going to be a two-and-a-half-day um, symposium where uh, trade uh, enthusiasts, collectors, wine stewards, salespeople, tasting room, winemakers, 200-plus uh, people will, will uh, congregate, and uh, at South Seattle College for a two-and-a-half-day symposium, um, great seminars and tastings uh, from uh, Napa Valley. We'll do something from Quilcita Creek. We have the wines of B.C. We have wines of South Africa. We'll have the wines of Bordeaux, some great spirit folks. Uh, so if you're a bartender or you like cocktails, we'll even do some beer things and some cider. Check it out, psalmsummit.com. That's in July. And for all of you folks in the industry, if you're in a winemaker, uh, Seattle Wine Awards, Oregon Wine Awards, Idaho Wine Awards registration begins February 1st, right around the corner. Uh, check it out at uh, tastenorthwest.com, tastenw.com, or seattlewineawards.com. Uh, lots of great things happening. Um, Taste Walla Walla, so check it out. You can't miss that. It's uh, better than a four-hour drive when they come to you. It's over at McCall Hall. And Love Potions coming up on a show for the Valentine's Day, the Vancouver International Wine Festival, and, of course, psalmsummit.com. Hope you enjoyed the show. Um, lots of... Uh, Great things happening in February. Check out localwineevents.com. Uh, it's a website that lists wine events and tastings. There's some great dinners coming up. And you're in the know. There's something if you want to get educated or certified or just want to go out and taste some wines. It's a great resource, localwineevents.com. It's where I go. That's where we list uh, host. Uh, some promotion for the Holiday Wine Fest and the Martini Olympics that will be coming up in August. And, of course, the Oxnard Washington Wine. So much. We can't wait. Uh, we'll know in a couple of days if we got six more weeks of winter or if spring's going to be coming soon. But we always thank you for listening. And uh, check out the website, happyhourradio.net. And if you're ever out and about, remember, folks, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.